My name is Christian Ashley, a seminary student and servant of God, and you are listening to the Let Nothing Move You podcast, a proud Anazal Ministries podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the next episode of the Let Nothing Move You podcast. I'm your host, Christian Ashley, MC Ashley in KSCF. I answer to many things right now, but of course, right now, let's just go with Christian. That sounds fine. So it has been a heck of a week trying to get this episode recorded. I started summer classes. Uh, I have done new things in work, uh, getting trained with uh, dispatching instead of what I regularly do with the police station on campus, just you know, making sure everything's locked up. So I've had like next to no time for myself this entire week to get this recorded, to get this done. So I appreciate everyone listening to it. I'm a little more higher energy than I was earlier when I was uh, putting down my notes for this. So hopefully this ends well. This may be a shorter one. Uh, there's only, you know, 30, 30 some verses to get through here. So who knows? This may be my treat to you. You don't have to listen to me drone on for an hour or it could not. And I could end up ranting. Who knows? That's the fun. So we'll be in the book of Luke today in chapter 14, starting with verses uh, one through 17, excuse me, one through seven. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is always an excellent story, uh, showcasing Jesus's love for us, God's love for us, Holy Spirit's love for us, of people who have been led astray, who walk away sometimes who never knew him to begin with. And then suddenly we realize the totality of who he is. But before we get into a lot of that stuff, what we need to see here is that if you and I, if we desire to be like Jesus, then we must be like him when it comes to his concern with the lost and astray. It is a wonderful thing to be part of a body of a church and to have the opportunity that we all get to fellowship with one another but far more important, even in all that, is to celebrate one who was lost in spiritual darkness, has had an encounter with God, and has repented of their sins so that they can join the flock. That is what it's all about. Not just fellowship with each other, not just hanging out, not just hearing a really good song or a really good sermon. Celebration of those who were lost and are now found. Every single one of us who have accepted Christ have been there at one point in time. And there should have been a massive celebration every single time it happened. Yet we don't. I'm not saying, it's not like we don't care about the lost coming to faith. Like every single time it happens in church with the baptism and you get uh, restored to life. Like I'm one of the ones, <laughs> I had a friend of mine say, you know, I always love when you come in to see people get baptized because no one claps louder than you. I didn't know I did this, but apparently that's true. Uh, and, he also said you have this big smile on your face because it's it's wonderful. It's 
It's a true experience of someone who was lost and now is found in Christ. And if I'm not celebrating that, then I am truly lost. (laughs) I'm truly away from where I need to be. Like, look, we clap and we celebrate fervently when we see them get baptized. And that's a wonderful thing. But if that's where I stay, that's not good. But how many of these of us knew who these people were and that they weren't his before this moment in time? Now, look, okay, some of us attend larger churches. Uh, Not everyone can have like less than 100 members or what have you. I don't think I've ever, uh, maybe less than 100 at one point in time. But yeah, for for the most part, I, I, I don't think I've ever really been around a church that hasn't had like a lot of people in it. And not, definitely not a mega church in any sense like that. Not to say that mega churches can't serve God in some regard, but I've never been that uh, with that many people. But still, uh, enough to not know every single person in that room. Look, that is not what you need to do. You don't need to know every single person's name in your church unless you're on the staff. And if you don't, I would highly recommend that you at least attempt it because that's a lot of people under your care. And if you don't know where they're at, that's bad. But what we can do is figure out who are we hanging out with? Am I just hanging out with my friends at church? Which there's, once again, nothing wrong with hanging out with your friends. That's the reason God gives us friends. But if I didn't know that that person didn't know God before that moment, well, doesn't that kind of irk anyone else? Like, oh, uh, this, this whole time they'd been with me. Like, I might know their name. I might have said hey to them, but like, I didn't know what they were struggling with. And the same applies to all of us. Like, look, once again, I'm not calling us all to learn every single person's name in church. That's a lot. And as someone whose memory kind of sucks, it's impossible for me. But what I am saying to people like us is to get outside of our comfort zones a bit. Talk with people we don't know. See where they're at. See what we can be praying for them about. And if they say, hey, like I'm struggling with the fact that I don't know if this is what I want to believe. Like, oh my gosh. Well, what more perfect opportunity do we have to share the gospel and to love on them and to pray with them and to show them like, hey, you're not alone. Like I've struggled at times. You know, I, I haven't figured all this out either. But who are we reaching out to in our churches to see where they're at in life? Once again, it, it's a next to impossible task for all of us to do, but it needs to get done. Like I said, we don't all have to be friends on a deeper level at church. There's some people you're kind of glad they're gone once you leave church. That's okay sometimes if you're not holding resentment against them. Like there's some people you're just not going to get along with. It's not nothing wrong with you and nothing wrong with them. You're just incompatible in that regard, but you still love God. I would hope so. But we should always care about all members of the church as best we can with the time we have. And hopefully someone else can be there going where we can't and doing what we can't. If a church is, is doing its job, there should be multiple people doing what I just said reaching out to others, checking up on them, asking people their names, their families, what's going on in their lives. I don't always see it. It's I don't know how to solve it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's going to take heart changes. But in light of all this, remember that part about the angels celebrating? Like if the angels are celebrating over the redemption of a sinner, then we should be rejoicing more than them because we are ones who can fully understand the positions we were once in when we were enemies of God in open rebellion against them. That is why I can celebrate when someone gets baptized. That is why I can celebrate when someone says, Christian, I just came to faith. And I just want to shower God's love upon them. It's like, because I've been there. Yeah, I was young when I came to faith. Uh, For those of you who listened to episode zero, I was about six or seven. And it was great. But still, I was someone who didn't know him until that moment. 
And you say, oh, well, if you've been older, been this and been that. And it's like, no, it doesn't matter when. The point is we're all in open rebellion against God. I was not a perfect child. My mother can really attest to that. Uh, how many children do you know who got kicked out of preschool <laughs> for hitting their best friend in the head? And it did the same to you with several toys and implements. And then later on, they were best friends again. You know, it is what it is. But the point being is that I was that person far away from him, as far as you can be. Doesn't matter how little time I had on this earth, I was still away. The same is true of us. We should celebrate when this happens, when someone comes to faith. Let us also not forget what prompted this amazing story of sacrificial love. The Pharisees and the scribes being upset that Jesus spent his time around sinners and not the pious people like them. Look, it is so easy to fall into this trap. Like I mentioned before, I'm a very prideful person by nature. So there are many times where I think better of myself than I should. And I've been in this situation and later I've had to repent because people don't need that around them. The world sucks enough as it is without me ruining it even further. We who have been saved by Christ are new creations. The sinful men and women we used to be are gone and have been replaced by a new spirit that while still capable of sinning, don't let anyone tell you anything else on that on that regard, while still capable of sinning, we are completely free from the wrath of God, that righteous wrath. In a sense, and I'll stretch this part, in a sense, that makes us better than those who don't have the redeeming love of Jesus, in that no matter what, we are secure in him. However, this does not mean that we are inherently or morally better than those who don't know Christ as their Savior, because we are still human, and like I said, just as capable of sinning as them. So get off your high horses, Christian. Realize where people are at and what needs to be done and how we can extend love to them without going, ah, I know what you've done, you pathetic little sinner, you fool. Everyone knows what you've done. I'm so much better than you. That's not how this works. Don't lose sight of what has been done for us so that when that 100th, well, 100th sheep comes to the flock, we find ourselves sneering at them for walking away while we are supposedly being righteous and loyal to God. Don't end up in that trap. It is not helpful. It is not holy. It is not good for anyone involved. Next up, we'll go to the verses 8 through 10. Uh, this is Jesus continuing. Or what woman, having lost 10 silver coins, excuse me, excuse me blah, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we'll start with the, the surface level thing with the money first. The amount of money this woman would have lost here is about the equivalent of an entire entire day's worth of wages, about a drachma, a drachmi. And just imagine that. Those of us who really had to work hard for the money that we get, like imagine toiling away for that amount of time only to lose sight of where that money went. Would we not all panic? Uh, we would have a very natural panic. And that should be a reminder to us. Once again, this is not the point of this, this parable, but it is, it is a point. That should all be a reminder of how powerful money truly is in our culture. There is nothing inherently wrong with money. Don't, don't hear me. It's not my anti-capitalism bench. Like, look, 
There's nothing inherently wrong with money. But when it gets treated like an idol, when it gets treated like something more important than God, especially in our culture, there is something amiss. This woman is not treating it as an idol. Let me make that clear. That is not the point of this story. But it can be in our minds, and I want to bring that up. The woman is not wrong to seek out the money she lost. Like, it was earned. And she deserves to keep what she's earned. So, of course, she seeks it out relentlessly and celebrates when it is found because the opposite is so much worse. So imagine losing that money. It's like you've done nothing. All that work was for nothing. It's a, a, a terrible story of, of, of loss. But she finds it. And what does she do? She celebrates because she knows how much it is worth and what she can do with it. So when she does find it, instead of keeping it away like she did and how she lost it before, she decides to use it not only for her good, but also for the good of others so that they might celebrate the wonders of God for being faithful. So we should do the same with the blessings that we receive. I mentioned before, <laughs> I don't make a lot of money. I was a poor seminary student. That money is going to go to bills. It's going to go to paying off tuition. And if I, I mean, I do, I send out money in the church and I can, tithe as best I can, but there's not a lot there. But what I can do with what little I have is use it to enrich us. I have a coworker uh, who will pop by the uh, campus police every now and then. And he'll just say, call ahead and say, hey, I'm going to Wendy's. I'm going to McDonald's. I'm going you know, to Taco Bell. Would anyone like anything? And he just brings stuff, brings us food, expecting nothing in return. And it's one of the best blessings I have in my life because sometimes I don't always have enough money to eat. So I have to uh, not say that I don't receive any help from anyone, but sometimes I need to be a bit more frugal, sometimes a little too frugal for my own good. So I deny myself meals. That way I could have it later on. Is that the healthiest thing in the world? Probably not. <laughs> but it's what I do trying to think of things in light of, okay, I also have these thousands of dollars I have to spend on tuition. So yeah, that's not a, a cry for help. I, I really mean that that way. But this, this point being is that I have been immensely blessed by this man who has given of himself to enrich us all with what he has earned. We need to do the same, if at all possible, with those around us. Don't put yourself in debt just to look after other people. So that's the surface level reading. Jesus' actual point here, the main point, is that we should do the same. We should celebrate when one of the lost comes to faith. That's the entire purpose of this chapter. We should be seeking these people out and casting the love of God on them so that they can understand the greatness of him and his eternal care for them despite their sins and ours. To God, you and I, we are far more important than wealth and fame. So if he cares this much about us, imagine how much he expects us to do the same to each other. Imagine that. What he has given us should be freely given to others. Once again, not to our own detriment, not to the point where we can't pay bills and suddenly we're the ones in need. But if there's something there we can use to enrich someone else's life, so take someone out to dinner and say, hey, what's going on in your life? Notice someone who they might not be able to afford dinner that night and you make something for them. Like I've been in many churches where that's something that's been done before, especially uh, with women who just recently had a baby and uh, the husbands are taking care of them. but They can't focus on anything else. So people will bring them food. And it's a wonderful thing. It's like something that can be done to help them out in the moment where they need help because neither one of neither of those parties has the time needed to prep meals. So do that. Find those things and do them. 
All right, next we get to our last stretch here, which will finish out the entire chapter. So we're going through verses 11 through 32. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received them back safe and sound. But he was angry, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here we see one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture of God's redemptive love for us, his sacrificial love for us. I've read this story many times over, and it's so easy. Say, so, yeah, yeah, sure, God loves, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure some of you have heard it many times over in church, from Sunday school all the way up to the pulpit. There's a reason this story gets repeated, because it's the story of us. The story of losers and sinners who denied the good blessings of God and ran away as far as we could in other directions to find hope and love and purpose in something else only to realize that's not how this works and there's only one person who deserves our love and respect and that's god so we'll go with the start of the story here demanding the share this early from the son was a massive insult to the father it was essentially him telling the dad that he had no use for him outside of what the son could gain from his death it's like oh you're only as good as the money you have that's awful it's terrible. And of course, we, we go, oh, what a terrible son. Why would he ever do that? And mm, how many times have we thought, mm, well, if they bite it, you know, I'll have the money. Now, if something happens to them, well, I'll be secure. It's like, no, 
It's not the point. That money is something that can be given at the right time. My mother and aunt had been blessed with the money left behind by my grandmother and grandfather after they both unfortunately passed. And it's an amazing thing to have been ha- to have that blessing, but didn't, like weren't spending their days with, okay, ticking down the top the clock. It's going to be mine one day. It's like no, they lost a mother and a father. That's a terrible thing. That's not why they wanted them gone. That's not anything in that moment that would serve anyone well. And yet we get like that at times when it comes to things. Well, they have that. Well, I'm expecting it later on. It's like no, realize what blessings we have, and if. Those things do happen because we live in a sin-filled world and we're fallen beings and we're going to die at some point in time. Be grateful for what is given. But don't, don't make that the reason. I have seen, the reason I bring this up is I use them, uh, my aunt and my mother, in contrast to other people I have heard and, and been around who said, yep, they're just waiting for them to, to die and then it'll all be mine. It's like, how could you do that? This is someone who loves you enough to gift this money to you. Someone you loved enough that has cared for you all these years. That's such a reprehensible point of view. And yet that's exactly what we do with God. God gives us so much. And we spurn him. And we say, well, I want what you have. And that's it. So let's go back to that. the father. What does he do? He gives the son what he asks for. That makes no sense to us who can only see so far into the future. But this father knows and he hopes that his son will realize what has been done here. He's hoping the son will learn from this incident and come back with a different heart. So too does God look upon those who ask for his blessings, yet don't seek a relationship with him or to better understand who he is. This same God doesn't always righteously send turmoil their way, and in fact can even bless them in the midst of their rebellion. We hear that and go, that's not fair. But guess what? It isn't fair that he gets to treat us like this. But as we've seen time and time again, just in the book of Luke, God is unfair. And that is to our benefit, because if he was because if he was fair, none of us would live past our first sin against him. The moment we say, God, I want all your blessings and I don't want a relationship with you. He would be righteous to strike us down. But he's not because he is loving and merciful and patient. Also, we see here that to those unfamiliar with Hebrew culture. Uh, We'll get there eventually when we get to Leviticus uh, many, many weeks from now, many months from now. Pigs are seen as unclean animals. And for a, a Hebrew, a Jewish man to be forced to work with them is a fitting insult for the son to suffer through. He's like, look, this is what you wanted. You spurned the good gifts I had for you. This is where you're going to end up. And the one place I told you never to be, to never associate with this kind of animal. Like, look, pigs can be very dirty animals by nature. And that was one reason why God forbade the Israelites at a time not to eat them. The other thing was being like, hey, I told you not to do it. That's part of the law. It doesn't matter. I said not to do it. And they weren't supposed to do it. That was one of the points of the law is like, am I following God or not? But we also see here by recognizing his situation, the son finally understands just how foolish he's been and then seeks to make amends, humbling himself to the point where he will do the work that was once beneath him as he knows even the lowest of his father's servants are treated far better than him in a land that cares nothing for him or who he is. So is the same for how God treats us compared to the world. Even in the midst of suffering and strife, God remains a constant, providing love and care in ways that an unloving and uncaring world never can. 
we are far better servants to him when we recognize we deserve none, nothing of what he has given us freely. And we then work alongside him, not for the benefits of his love for us, but for the purpose of loving him and those he has placed in our lives so that they may go and do the same to those around them. Look, it is a good thing to receive the blessings of God. It is a good thing to be following him and receiving what he has to offer us. Those are wonderful perks, but that's not why we're in this. We're not in this for money or fame or glory or just a safety and contentment. We're in this. We should be in this, I should stress, to serve him, to love him, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's it. So we also see here, by every right of the world, the father would have been allowed to cast out his son and deny him the status of the lowest servant of the house for what he had done. Like, how many revenge stories do we love watching? Uh, uh, this would be a bit of a weirder one, but like, how many times do you go, oh, well, I mean... <laughs> I love the Punisher as a character, but you get to that idea of, oh, well, his family was killed. So he goes on a mission and he goes on a crusade, murdering every gangster he possibly can come across because they do evil things and they hurt people. And we go, yeah, yeah, do that. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. The world's probably a better place without those people alive. But where's Frank Castle's heart and all that? That being the Punisher's name for those that don't know. His heart is so far away. He's lost himself to this unholy mission. These people who are dying, well, guess where they're going to end up? If they were doing these evil things, chances are, uh, I would highly stress, uh, more than likely, almost all of them ain't going where they want to go for the afterlife. I say all that like, look, by the standards of the world, a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, go kill those criminals. Frank Castle, punish them. And we go, wait, we lose sight of the human beings that get thrown up in all that. There are a lot of people there, and obviously that being a fictional story of you know the loss that comes from that that comes from miring ourselves in revenge and remaining there instead of going anywhere else the father does not do this though by the standards of the world he can do that but by the standards of god he what he does is he ignores our base instinct to always best those who harmed us and instead he showers his son with affection and love that he does not deserve because the father has recognized the spiritual journey that his son has been on and how this has changed him for the better. That's God. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. He says, no, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm bringing them back into the fold because they've recognized where they need to, they need to be now. They've repented. And certainly, one of the last things we can see here is the older son's reaction, which once again, in human nature, is completely natural, but ultimately wrong. Now, some scholars kind of take him to represent the Pharisees that Jesus was, uh, you know, already talking to earlier in this chapter. And others say that he's kind of a representation of Christians who get angry at the blessings that a new believer receives. You know, when they first come to faith, you know, as compared to what they're dealing with after having been faithful for many years. Uh, like both, op both options are wrong reactions to have. Let's put it that way. Either way, I tend to think of the older son referring to both parties in some regards. So that's where I'm at for the Pharisees. If that's the where we're going to take this, that, like he is a very clear indicator of one who has been spending time with God with, excuse me, spending time with God for years and yet has never truly understood him. Guess what? People can do that. People can read this book and never once experience God truly. And they'll say they may even believe some of the things in here. I had 
in my oh gosh, my freshman year of college, my new excuse me, my Old Testament professor was an atheist, and he had read that uh, all books, all thirty nine, yeah, thirty nine, yeah, thirty nine books of the Old Testament over and over again, and yet didn't know God. It blew my mind how that was even possible. Well, the same was true of the Pharisees. They memorized these books. They could tell you what what Psalm 51 said in verse 4, what have you. They could tell you off the top of their head, and yet they didn't know God. Never be like that. Likewise, for the jealous Christian in this example, the older son is a perfect example of the envy that can occur when we see God bless someone else despite their more obvious sins than ours. It's pretty obvious the son here, the younger son, has been a very led has led a very sinful life. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So naturally we go, oh, well, he doesn't deserve anything. But either way, whether this is the Pharisees we're talking about or uh, a Christian being upset at another Christian, a younger Christian being blessed more than them, there's a heart issue in the older son's life that needs to be rebuked, which is exactly what the father does in love to his oldest son. Because he needs a reality check that neither son deserves anything the father gives, yet the father gives it anyways out of love. The son, the younger son didn't deserve the inheritance before the father died. The older son didn't deserve anything he had by working with his father, yet he gave both of them something. So does God do the same for our benefit? Any blessings we receive is, I'm going to trip people up with this, it is unjustly offered to us. Because we can never repay God for what he's done, and we have nothing we can offer him that he does not already have. That's why I say unjustly. We don't deserve it. But what we can do is acknowledge his gift of mercy and praise his name for what he has done for us and to those who have just come to faith after living years in spiritual atrophy and darkness. When someone comes to faith, rejoice. Like above the angels that are rejoicing at that same moment because they've been changed. Because they were lost and now they're found. Thank you all for listening to Luke 15. I really appreciate it. So uh, this is a lot of fun to do. Uh, I'm glad I was able to finally have time to do this. So please, if you had the chance, just leave a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice to help us uh, reach more people in the algorithm and, and the like. I don't pretend to understand how it works. This is how it does. If you're interested in my fiction writing, you can find my works at www.starvingwriterskill.com or on Amazon by searching the name MC Ashley. If you're all interested in some further solid studies into the Bible and its teachings, then check out the other members of the Anazal Ministries podcasting network. You can contact me at letnothingmoveyoupodcast at gmail.com. I'd also like to extend a special thank you to Joshua Knoll for the editing that he does and for the music he adds to the podcast. And with all that in mind, God bless you all in accordance to his will and not mine. And allow me one more time to remind you, Let nothing move you.